Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to talk today about God's word for you and for me in these difficult days, Uh, in these days when we're sheltering in place, in these days when we're waiting to see how bad the virus is going to get. In these days when we're waiting to see how bad things are going to get financially, when we're all worried. Well, at the heart of our faith, uh, there are three days, uh, Good Friday, Saturday, and Easter Sunday. And what I want to talk about in this message is a day that hardly anyone ever talks about, and that is Saturday. Uh, Friday is the day when Jesus went to the cross. Uh, We see the cost of God's love. We see the ugliness of sin. We see the expense of God's grace. That Friday was the darkest day in the history of the world. Easter Sunday is the greatest day in the history of the world. No one saw Sunday coming. Uh, Sunday was the day of the resurrection, a day of such unexpected death-defying, grave-defeating, fear-destroying, joy-producing, life-giving hope that the world still has not gotten over it. For those of us who need hope, uh, Sunday is our day. But I'm not talking about Friday and I'm not talking about Sunday. I want to talk about Saturday today. Saturday is the day after an extraordinary event and the day before another extraordinary event the day after the crucifixion, but the day before the resurrection, the day after this, but the day before that. Saturday is the day after a prayer gets prayed, but the day before it gets answered. The day after someone gets knocked down, but the day before they get lifted up. Saturday is the day in between. It's the day in between brokenness and healing. It's the day in between confusion and clarity. It's the day in between the bad news and the good news. Saturday is that in-between time when you've lost something, when some, something or someone has died and it's gone and you know it may never return, but nothing new has arisen yet to take its place and you're not sure anything ever will. That's Saturday. The psalmist says in Psalm 38, I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. My strength fails me. Maybe you've lost a job or you've experienced vocational failure and you feel this deep sense of sadness. And it's not just that, uh, but it's kind of a shame because without your job that you've identified so strongly with, you're not really sure who you are anymore. That's Saturday. Or a word comes back from a doctor's lab that the test is positive. And all the dreams that you took for granted, that you would watch your kids grow up and get married, that you would grow old with your spouse, that you would die when you're good and ready. All of your old dreams suddenly torture you with the thought that you may not be there to see them. The psalmist wrote, everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. That's Saturday. On Saturday, one of the things I learn is I'm not running the show. On Sunday, 
It can be very tempting for me to think that because of my success or my wealth or my reputation or my intelligence or my virtue or my faith that I'm in control. Uh, that's why things are going so well for me and my life will unfold how and when I want it to. But on Saturday, that's all gone. On Saturday, people realize my health, my finances, my relationships, my family, my reputation, my stuff, uh, none of them are under my ultimate control. I believe the hardest part about Saturday is expressed with shocking candor and striking frequency in the Psalms. In Psalm 88, the psalmist says, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? And now I want you to understand the pain behind the phrase, why do you hide your face from me? Uh, maybe the most basic need of an infant's heart is the, the comfort, the security and love of a parent's voice or touch or face. Uh, one of the most painful things in the world for a child to, is, is to cry out to a parent in utter vulnerability and not just have a parent not hear or not be available, but to have the parent deliberately look the other way, to avert their eyes, to hide their face. That's almost unthinkable. And that's the pain the psalmist is expressing. It's a striking thing to me that God, who inspired the scriptures, chooses to have part of them express the pain of the human condition. God, why do you hide your face from me? That's the hardest part about Saturday. The hardest part is not just that I'm in transition, not just that I'm moving from one day to another and I'm not quite sure what that involves, not just that life is hard or that life is painful. The hardest part is I can't seem to find God. God doesn't seem to be answering me. God, why do you hide your face from me? Well, in the time that I have left in this message, I want to make some observations about this hardest day, about Saturday. But first I want to ask, is it possible for me to avoid Saturday? Like, is there a way to navigate life so that I can go through life and just kind of skip over Saturday? Is there a book I can read with five simple steps to avoid Saturdays? And I pose this question because sometimes there are people who believe that if we're just clever enough or strong enough or think positively enough that we can kind of live every day like it's Sunday. Sometimes even in churches, there are people who will imply or assert that sickness and suffering are never supposed to happen to Christians. That if you just have enough faith, if you just kind of, you're careful enough not to slip into sin, you just pray hard enough, you just trust enough, you do enough, life can be this endless Sunday, just one moment of victory after another. Well, according to the writers of scripture, that's not so. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus himself said to the father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you hidden your face from me? In Job chapter five, the text says, human beings are born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. It's just predictable. I mean, start a fire, look at the sparks, they're gonna go upward, it's inevitable. Human beings enter this world and they're gonna know trouble. There's just no way to engineer a life that will skip over Saturday. Probably for you, there has been some sort of ache, maybe in your work or in your home, or in your heart over these last several weeks. That's Saturday. 
Which is why at the heart of Jesus's story, at the heart of human history, there are really three days. And the first day, Friday, and the third day, Sunday, are so packed with action and emotion that we could talk about those two days for our entire lifetime and not scratch the surface. In fact, those two days literally are the two most studied days in history. On Good Friday, our sins got paid for. On Easter Sunday, our hope was brought to life. But Saturday is that day with no name. It's that day when nothing happened. You're not going to hear too many messages on the subject of Saturday. But we're talking about it today. And I'd like us to think about it from the perspective of the disciples. The disciples go to sleep on Friday night. Uh, they've not slept for 36 hours. They wake up Saturday morning and Jerusalem, the city that was screaming for blood the day before, is completely quiet. The crowds have disbanded. What do you do on Saturday? Well, the disciples may be gathered together quietly. They remember the teachings of Jesus. They remember what it felt like when Jesus, the most brilliant man that they had ever known, said to them, I want you. I want you. I want you to be my follower. I mean, they thought they were going to change the world. And maybe on Saturday, they sat together and they talked about what went wrong. Maybe none of them wanted to say it, but in their hearts, they had been trying to come to grips with this idea that Jesus failed. He didn't get enough followers. He didn't win over enough chief priests. He didn't uh, find a way to make peace with Rome. He didn't train his disciples to have courage in this moment of crisis. And the worst moment for them had to be when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out. But he didn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He didn't say, the Lord is still my light and my salvation. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he died. And I imagine the disciples thinking, if the best man in the world, I mean, if the man closer to God than any human being who ever lived could know failure and humiliation and be abandoned by God and then die, I mean, where does that leave us? Saturday is that day after your best dreams have died and you wake up and you're still alive and you've got to go on, but you don't know how and you don't know why. I was thinking about this and I got to wondering, you know, why is it that Saturday is in Jesus's story? It doesn't further the storyline at all. I mean, if Jesus is going to be resurrected, why not just get on with it? Like just die on the cross one day and then boom, the next day get resurrected. Like why are there uh, just two events, but three days? Well, there's a reason. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. For what I received, I pass on to you as if as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. And here it is that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He uses this phrase, according to the scriptures, uh, twice. There's something important about Jesus being raised on the third day. The Old Testament is filled with what might be called three-day stories. Uh, so this is kind of a, a framework. In Genesis 42, Joseph's brothers get put into prison and they get released on the third day. In Joshua 2, the Israelite spies are told by Rahab to hide from their enemies and that they will be saved on the third day. If you remember the story of Esther, she hears 
uh, her people are going to be destroyed and she fasts and she prays and is received favorably by the king on the third day. When Abraham was afraid he'd have to sacrifice his son Isaac, it's on the third day he sees the sacrifice that would save Isaac's life. And there's a bunch of these stories. And this is such a reoccurring pattern that the prophet Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Now, here's the framework of a three-day story. On the first day, there's trouble. On the second day, there's more trouble. And on the third day, there's deliverance. And in these stories, deliverance always comes from God. Uh, There are always stories where God steps in. Three-day stories. First day, second day, third day. Now, here's the problem. You don't know it's a three-day story until the third day. It might just be trouble. And then the next day, there's trouble. And then the next day, there's trouble. And then the next day, there's trouble. And it may just last for a long time. Here's the only illustration I could think of for this, so you're going to have to forgive me. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, rooting for the Chicago Cubs my entire life. Uh, A few years ago, in 2016, the Cubs won the World Series for the first time since 1908. And for some people, that's proof that God exists. Uh, My father-in-law, one of the biggest Cub fans I know, didn't get to see the Cubs win a World Series ever in his entire lifetime. Uh, He died in 2010, so he never got to see them win. The Cubs that he knew drove their fans absolutely crazy. Uh, They lived with a curse. They lived with curses on top of the curse. Uh, They would start the season on top, and over the course of the year, they would fall back below 500. And this would happen year after year after year. Uh, Some of you remember the unofficial motto of Giants baseball before they won in uh, 2010 was Giants baseball. It's torture. Do you remember that? Like announcers would say that after every game. Giants baseball. It's torture. Well, that was my life prior to 2016. Chicago Cubs baseball. It's torture. I mean, as a Cub fan, it was always Friday. Yesterday was Friday, today is Friday, tomorrow is going to be Friday again. And now I can laugh about it because it turns out it was a third day story. The good news was Sunday was coming. Now I said a moment ago that Saturday is the day when nothing happens. Uh, That's not exactly true. Saturday is a day of silence. After the trouble hits, after the agony of Friday, You call out to God, God, would you help me? Would you hear me? Would you heal me? Would you save me? Do something, listen, act, but there's nothing. Now, in addition to the pain of Friday, there's the pain of Saturday as well, the absence of God. When C.S. Lewis wrote his memoirs about coming to faith in Jesus, he called the book Surprised by Joy. Uh, The book is about how his love of joy is actually what led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, But there was more to it. When he wrote the book, he was a lifelong confirmed bachelor, uh, 57 years old, but he had recently met a woman in his late 50s who he would marry. Uh, Guess what her name was? It was Joy. And so his friends said to him, you really were surprised by Joy, weren't you? Um, They thought that was kind of a funny joke. 
And after a lifetime of waiting, Lewis was given just a few years of happiness with his wife, Joy. And then she got cancer and she died a horrible death. And C.S. Lewis wrote another book, not about Joy. It's called A Grief Observed. It's a Saturday book. And this is what he wrote in it. When you're happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims on you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. And you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more empathetic the silence will become. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? That's Saturday. Maybe you want so desperately to save your marriage. You know you're not perfect, but your spouse won't listen and you can't figure out why. And you can't stand what it's doing to your family. Maybe you know things are not right with your child and you're afraid of what will happen to that life that you had so many hopes for. Uh, you wonder where you went, want, went wrong. You wonder how uh, you're gonna be able to fix it. Maybe you found out the person you love tested positive and you just pray like crazy, but there's only silence. Or maybe someone you love with your whole heart has died and you prayed so hard and you hoped so much and you don't understand it. You just know that your life will never be the same. Or maybe it's a pattern or a character trait inside yourself that you just hate and you've battled it for so long. How you deal with anger or how you deal with fear or how you deal with other people. And if you just keep busy or noisy or successful, you can distract yourself. But when you get still, when you get like we are right now, you become aware that the most painful gap in the world is the gap between the person you long to be and the person you are. And you wonder sometimes, as big as that gap is, if it's ever gonna be any smaller than it is right now. Or maybe you lost your job, or maybe you lost a friend, or maybe you had a dream for your life, or maybe you had a dream for your work, or maybe you had a dream for a child to love. Friday is when that dream dies. So what do you do Saturday? There are really three options when Saturday comes. One of them is to just despair. If you despair, you decide it's always gonna be Friday. And it's interesting that there were people in the early church who actually went this route. And Paul asks, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, some people were saying back then, there is no hope. Sunday will never come. It will always be Friday. Just get used to it. Don't get your hopes up. That's despair. And some people will go down that road. Another option is denial. And people who choose to live this way look for simplistic explanations, for easy answers, for artificial happiness, forced optimism. And interestingly, there were actually people in the early church who went this route. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, some have wandered away from the truth. They teach that the resurrection has already taken place and destroy the faith of some. In other words, some people say, it's already Sunday. It has already arrived. 
So if you have problems, if you're in pain, if you're not getting your healing, if your prayers are not being answered, you just don't have enough faith. Just get with the program. So there's the road of despair. There's the road of denial. Uh, or there's a third option. You can wait. How does that sound? Does that sound like an exciting option? You can wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord is a very important thing, but it's often misunderstood. It doesn't mean to be passive or inactive or fatalistic. It means whatever I do while I'm waiting for Sunday, I do that with Jesus. I work with him. I rest with him. I ask questions with him. I wrestle with him. I complain with him. I wait on the Lord. And I'll tell you a little secret. You can be with God on Saturday in a way you can't be with God on any other day. Because on Saturday, you know that he's the only hope you've got. I've talked to a number of people recently who for them, uh, it's Saturday. Maybe I talk to you and maybe your eyes are just filling with tears and you're living with God in a way that you have never lived with him before. And here's what's amazing and why Saturday is so important. Jesus goes through our Saturday. The writer of scripture says it's necessary for the Messiah, for Jesus to suffer. Jesus says a remarkable thing as recorded in Matthew because our world is so blind to the nature of God and our need for salvation. He says there is one sign that might penetrate our impatient world. He calls it the sign of Jonah. This is from Matthew 12. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was another three-day story. And Jesus says, this is a sign. Now, I need to say a word about how the writers of Scripture calculate time, because I know for some people, they're going to ask, well, if Jesus died on Friday and he rose on Sunday, he was only in the tomb for two nights. And so Jesus was wrong. Let me just share a word about that. Uh, even in our day, we count days in different ways. Uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, and this is purely hypothetical. Imagine a pastor's wife with three children who are a lot of work and her husband, who is normally a huge help around the house, has to go on a trip. He leaves early Friday in the morning and returns late Sunday evening. And the wife says, you were gone three days. But he says, I saw you Friday morning. I saw you Sunday night. So I was really only gone one day, Saturday. Now, who's right? Is she right or is he right? She's right. Why? Because she's right about everything. That's why. The Hebrew system for dating was called inclusive. Uh, they would count each day involved in an event. So when Jesus says this, he's saying, my story is like your story. It's a three-day story. There's trouble, and then there's more trouble, and then there's God's deliverance. And Jesus is doing this as a gift to you and me. Friday is behind us, but the resurrection has not come yet. Not for you and not for me. The earth is still under a curse. I mean, that's why we have earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. That's why we have a virus that can create a pandemic. We still face our own Pilate and Herod and Judas. 
Our bodies are under a curse. We age and we're susceptible to illness and death. People we love die. We live in between Friday and Sunday. We live in a Saturday world. And I just want to tell you, God is present and at work in your Saturday. The Apostles' Creed, an old teaching of the church, has a remarkable phrase. It says that after Jesus was buried, he descended into hell. And there have been all kinds of writings about what that means exactly. Uh, Peter writes about it in the New Testament. Uh, But I want to say part of what it means is this. There is no suffering that you and I can go through that Jesus will not endure in order to save us. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. And from a human standpoint, we think the great miracle day is Easter Sunday when he raises from the dead. But I wonder if from heaven's standpoint, the great miracle day is Saturday. You see, when Jesus was born, uh, the skies are filled with the heavenly hosts. uh, They're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest because that little baby, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is in a manger. God is in a stable. Now the angels see what? They see God dying on a cross. They see God buried in a tomb. The miracle of Sunday is that a dead man lives. The miracle of Saturday is that the eternal son of God lies dead. So, so, If you can find Jesus in a grave, if you can find Jesus in death, if you can find Jesus in hell, where can you not find him? Where will Jesus not show up? So, whatever your pain, whatever your failure, whatever your regret, whatever your disappointment, whatever your difficulty, whatever your confusion, whatever your circumstances, it is not the end. It is only Saturday. Deliverance is coming. I love the resurrection story in the gospel of Matthew where the women run to the tomb and they see that it's empty and the angel says to them, Jesus is risen, but they don't understand anything yet. And then this is what Matthew says. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Uh, Now, isn't Jesus a little understated here? You know, he just conquered death. He just rose from the grave. You know, what kind of profound explanation and what kind of statement will Jesus give to explain this amazing moment? And all he says is, greetings. Dale Bruner wrote a great commentary on this. He translates it. And look, Jesus met them and said, hi. (laughs) In other words, what did you expect? In other words, didn't I tell you? In other words, shouldn't you have known this all along? In other words, isn't this what my father had to do? Brunner writes about trying to teach this to a group of children. And the kids were asked, what were Jesus' first words to his disciples after he raised from the dead? And one of the little girls raised her hand. She's like, I know, I know. Ta-da. It's not a bad translation, actually. On the first day, there's trouble. On the second day, there's trouble. There's more trouble. On the third day, ta-da. So listen, whatever your disappointment, 
whatever your difficulty, whatever your pain, uh, whatever it is you're facing, whatever answers you don't have, whatever confusion you can't explain, whatever problems you can't solve, whatever obstacle right now you feel like you cannot overcome, and maybe you don't know that you'll ever be able to overcome it until the day you die, you need to know this. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our ability to solve problems. Our hope is not in our financial resources. Our hope is not in our strength. Our hope is not in our cleverness. Our hope is part of another world. Our hope is about Sunday. Our hope is about the resurrection. So don't you give in and don't you give out and don't you give up. Do not despair because the God of Friday is the God of Saturday and he's also the God of Sunday. Your story and my story, like his story, is a three-day story. So you need to hold on to hope. The psalmist who knew a lot about Saturday put it like this, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Saturday people need to hold on to hope. There are two things we need to hope for. One of them is you need to hope that God will one day bring something good out of your Saturday. That's part of what the writers of scripture talk about when they say God redeems even suffering. God will redeem suffering. You need to hope that God will bring good things out of your Saturday. It's a strange thing, but over and over again in human life, when people look back over their lives, they find the times of greatest growth very often were on Saturday. That's when life got real clear or compassion grew in them or they developed patience or their faith got real deep or they were able to give gifts of comfort and encouragement and love to other people who were going through the same Saturday. Hope that God will bring something good out of your Saturday. And then we need to keep hoping specifically for that moment when morning will come. Truth is, I don't know how long it will be for your night to be over, but one day it will be over. And like the psalmist put it, who knew a lot about Saturday, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I read some time ago about a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and had three months to live. Her doctor told her that she needed to make pres pres uh, preparations to die if she wanted to do that. And so she contacted the pastor of her church and told him how she wanted things arranged at her funeral service. Uh, she decided that she was going to lay the whole thing out. She told him what songs that she wanted to have sung, uh, what scriptures she wanted to have read, uh, that she, what she wanted him to say, and that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. Uh, I've been in moments like those. Those are sober moments. Uh, but then she said this, there's just one more thing. And he asked her what it was. And she said, this is so important. So pay attention to this. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor didn't know what to say. Uh, he'd never had that request before. So he asked why. And she explained, in all my years in going to church functions, whenever food was involved, my favorite part came when whoever was cleaning the dishes off the table after the main course, they would lean over to me and say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew it meant something great was coming. It wasn't jello. It was something of substance like cake or pie, biblical food. 
So I was just, I just want people to see me there in my casket with a fork in my hand after I'm gone. And I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? And I want you to tell them something better is coming. So keep your fork. So he hugged her goodbye. And not long after that, she died. And at her service, people saw all the things that she wanted them to see. They saw the dress that she had chosen. They saw the Bible that she loved. They sang the songs that she had picked out. They heard the scriptures that she wanted read, but they all kept asking the same question. What's with the fork? And he explained to them that she wanted everyone who loved her to know that for her or for anyone who chooses to follow Jesus, that this is not a day of defeat, that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So keep your fork. And you know what? That's our hope. And so I have some homework for you this week, especially if it's Saturday in your life. Uh, this week, every time you sit down for a meal, every time you sit down for breakfast or for lunch or for dinner, uh, starting with the meal that's right after this, just take a moment and would you just look at your fork? Um, just allow this to become like a, an icon for you this week. And remember the woman who is buried with one of these in her right hand. Uh, that's the last thing that hand ever held. And remember the promise of the fork. Something better is coming. And remember to hold on to hope. No matter how long or dark your Saturday has been, you just keep fighting and hoping every day of life that God gives you on this earth. Remember that Saturday may be difficult. It may be unavoidable. It may be deeply painful, but it is not final. Saturday is not allowed to have the last word, not in God's universe, it's not. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All right, let's pray as the band comes to lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, you know every life and you know every heart watching right now. You know the truth about us is that we all live in this sorry, dark world in which death is real and sin and guilt and pain and disappointment are very real. And they don't get the last word because we know there is a third day coming. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we just want to thank you so much that we are not left hopeless, that we can have hope, that we can have hope because Jesus conquered death and one day we will conquer death too. And therefore, we do not lose hope. God, would you help us to live in that hope? And God, we pray this in the name of the one who mastered life, in the name of the one who mastered death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.